In our last video, we looked at God the Son and who he is according to the Nicene Creed's summary of, of what the Bible teaches on the topic. So today, we're going to look a little bit closer at a specific issue with God the Son, and that's the question of why did God have to become human? Mm-hmm. Why was it so important that God entered into humanity? It's not only an important philosophical question, but it also points us to the significance of the good news of Jesus. So it's a really important question to get clarity on. This is not an incidental or a small belief in Christianity. It's fundamental Absolutely. and it's central. So what, what, what does it mean, first of all, that God became human? Yeah, so I mean, I think to answer this question, easiest passage to go to is Philippians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible at home, you should open it up and look at it with me. Philippians, if you're driving in the car, maybe not. Um, yeah, don't don't obstruct your vision. Stay safe out there. I'm not going to lie. I have read books while driving. It's terrible. <laughs> it's one of the worst things about me. You said a stoplight, you know, get a quick... Stop laughing. Yeah, you know. You oh, oh, yeah, like that. Okay. I, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. Wow. It was a good book. All must, right. Must have been. Okay. Philippians chapter 2. I'll just start in verse 3. It says this Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who Though he was in the form of God, did not kind of quality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Hmm. So that verse is probably, I, I think, at least that I can think of is the clearest passage talking about what is involved in Jesus becoming human. Yeah. And so this passage, it says that he emptied himself. Let's see. Yeah. Those he was in the, oh, though he was in the form of God, did not kind of equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So what it's acknowledging first is saying that he was in the form of God, meaning that he is God and he basically has all the status of who God is. It's not necessarily saying that, well, it's definitely not saying that he appeared to be like God or had some yeah. general f- form, like it says the word form, but it's talking about the fact that Jesus is God, he has that status, and despite having that status, he emptied himself of the status of being someone who is glorious and deserves all praise, and then he became... So yeah, it says he, he didn't consider it anything to be grasped. It's saying yeah. he wasn't holding on to that yeah. or keeping that. He was able right. to let go of that. He let go of what was rightfully his, yeah. and instead he became human for our sake, just a, a little baby at first, yeah. and he became a human. Um, a little six pounds, seven ounce. <laughs> baby I Jesus. I mean, it's, and it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Like, obviously, it can, it can be, you know, we can kind of make fun of that yeah. way of viewing Jesus now, but there was a time when he was a vulnerable baby, yeah. and he went through all the stages of human development, right? you know, including the awkwardness of puberty and, and all of that. I mean, it's crazy that God would go through the same kind of life that we all live. You'd walk in our shoes quite right. literally. Yeah. Well, not literally shoes, legitimately. Yeah. Legitimate. Yeah. So, I mean, and we acknowledge this in our last video, but if you didn't see that, it's he's truly God and truly man. So, and he's like us in humanity in every way, except for the fact that he was sinless while we are sinful. And 
So yeah, he went through puberty. He was a baby. He ate, he drank, he walked, he thought. He was tempted. He was tempted. So all the the things that mark being a human, Jesus had, had that. He was yeah. actually truly human, even though he is God himself who's existed forever and is of the same essence as God the Father as we saw. Yet, despite that, he took on humanity for us. And so just to some, like show how that's relevant to this passage is what Paul's saying is that he was telling the Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't be proud and self-centered, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Hmm. And who better exemplifies that than Jesus, who though he was literally the greatest being, he became a vulnerable baby. And not only that, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He lived a perfect life and despite that, died in our place, despite being the God who lives forever, he willingly died, allowed himself to die. It's not like he couldn't get out of it or something. He submitted to it for our sake. He humbled himself. He counted us more significant than himself in this case. So what it means for the son of God to become human is not that he's ceasing to be God. Right. But he's giving up the the rights that he has as God to comfort and honor and all these things, right? And taking humiliation and suffering instead. Right. So that's an incredible truth that we could spend a lifetime meditating on and we should. Absolutely. But why, why did God do this? Why would God become human? Yeah, so I can think of two main reasons in Scripture why this was necessary. The first reason is because God promised this is how he would bring salvation to his people. This is what the Old Testament said would happen. And so this is basically the picture cast throughout all the Old Testament. I mean, first, right after the fall in Genesis 3, in Genesis 3.15, he says, God says that it's going to be an offspring of Eve who would crush the head of the serpent. And what is offspring of Eve? Considering she's the first human woman, that means a human is going to crush the head of the serpent. Clearly, yeah. And so just from the get-go, God is saying a human is going to come to undo this horrible thing that's happened, to defeat this deceiver who's brought this sin into the world. And So So what Adam didn't do, some human's going to come someday and do that thing. Exactly. So Romans 5, for all of you back home looking at your homework... Um, but it basically gets narrowed down closer and closer. Okay, who is this offspring of Eve going to be? Who is this human going to be? So we see that, okay, it's going to be one of Abraham's descendants. And then, okay, then it's actually Isaac. And then Jacob, not Esau. And then it's going to be from Judah. And then it gets lined all the way down eventually to David. And so we see in Second Samuel 7 that God says that there's going to be a king a human king that is a Mm. descendant of David who's going to reign forever. And we understand that to be the same person that's being referred to throughout this whole line in the Old Testament. Yeah. And even in that promise, God unites his throne with David's throne, that David's going to have a throne that endures forever. Right. So there's, there's a linking of God with humanity well before he ever enters into humanity just through all these promises. That someone's got to come to do what Adam didn't do. Someone's got to come to to do what David didn't do, being a, a truly righteous king who rules as God would want him to rule. Because obviously David fell short, right? Right. Which which we see in the sin of Bathsheba and mm-hmm. the killing of Uriah. Mm-hmm. And every king after him is the exact same story. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't meet the requirements 
to bring the rule that God's people need. Right. Yeah, we know that somehow it's going to be a descendant of David, but for a while it looks, how is that even possible? And so one of the most significant passages in the Old Testament referring to this fact that this descendant of David would somehow be Lord is in Psalm 110, 110. Um, And so Jesus actually unpacks this verse in Matthew chapter 22, starting verse 41. So I actually want to read that in Matthew to show what Jesus teaches from Psalm 110. So let's, let's read that. It says, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord, saying, and then he reads Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And so what Jesus is pointing out is the fact that, okay, these Pharisees should understand that what Scripture has been pointing to all along is that this promised Messiah, this Savior, this King who's going to come is going to be a descendant of David. Hmm. And yet David, who is the author of Psalm 110, says that the Lord says to my Lord, referring to his offspring, sit at my right hand. And so what Jesus is pointing out is, how is it possible that the descendant of David is being called Lord by his ancestor, which is generally not what you do. Yeah, no, no, never. (laughs) No, yeah. And so the fact that this is the case is pointing to the fact that this descendant of David is going to be greater than David himself. Yeah. Which is only possible because we know now that Jesus, God the Son, became human and is a descendant of David, fulfilling this passage, fulfilling scripture, and he is David's Lord, despite being his descendant. And pre-exists. David. Right. right. Obviously, so he that, yeah. David. So yeah. in terms of not as he, in his human form, but right. as the eternal son of God. So it fits every, in terms of his nature, in terms of his deeds, he is far greater than David and yeah. therefore deserves to be called Lord. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Fascinating. So, okay. So that's the first reason we see is that there's the promises, right, of mm-hmm. scripture. So all those promises need to be fulfilled and they all, they all, come down to there has to be a human savior. Mm-hmm. The Bible could not be more clear about that. Right. And we could look at, you know, 50 more passages. But the second reason is what? The second reason, so is first promise, and then the second reason is because that's just what was necessary to work salvation. Yeah. And so I actually want to appeal to Hebrews chapter 2 for this. So if you want to turn there to read it with me, just chapter 2, starting in verse 14, Let's read this. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, this is Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So this passage is pointing out is the fact that in order for Jesus to represent humans as a sacrifice, as a priest, he himself has to be human. Yeah. If he is going to live the perfect life of righteousness, 
that a human was expected to live, then a human has to actually do it to fulfill that righteousness. And so that's what Jesus did for us is not only was his death significant, but even his life was because he built that perfect righteous life that is credited to us. That is so necessary for our salvation. And then also as a sacrifice, because we as humans are the ones deserving punishment, a human needed to take that punishment in our place. And so it's so important that Jesus being God himself and therefore being the only one actually capable of being righteous was the one who became human and did it for us in our place because we couldn't. And it had to be God that became human because the debt for a lot of reasons, but the debt that we incurred was of infinite, um, you know, heinousness. And so we needed an infinite price to cover the sins that we've committed against the holy and righteous God. So that's how serious our sin was that we needed God himself to sacrifice himself for us. Um, there's also just, yeah, like you're saying the bridging the gap between God and man, the gulf there to have someone who can now stand before God, intercede for us as a human, understanding our weaknesses. Right. It goes all the way back to the book of Job, which I would say is quite possibly the oldest book in the Bible. Not everyone mm-hmm. agrees with that, but in, in Job, he brings forward, forth this tension, right? In chapter 9, he says, he's, he's trying to say, I want to appeal to God. I want to argue my case before God, but he understands that he can't even do it. He says in, in Job 9, 32, for he is not a man, God is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. So he says, there's a problem here in, coming before God who's holy and who's, who's a, a different being, right? He's other, that I need someone who can lay a hand on us both, who can stand between us and can mediate for us and figure this out. And of course, that's what we see in Jesus, someone who is both God truly and man truly and so can bridge that gap. So there's so many things, so many details of that, but those are a couple of the things, right, that, that yeah. are... That are obvious in scripture about why God had to become human. Yeah. And so key. And so, um, hopefully that's been helpful to you to make this more clear. Um, and just like we're always doing theology, as I said in our last video, it's not purely about our intellect and just understanding the right things. Although that is important because it affects that we believe the right things and we want to believe the right God who is human still, like we've talked about, but it also should result in, worshiping God, which is the logical conclusion that Philippians 2 comes to. So we read Philippians 2, 3 to 8, and how Paul ends that passage in verses 9 through 11 is that we should worship God. Here, I got to turn back there because I didn't. Philippians. Working mistake here. I know. So we so we see in that passage that God, that Jesus lowers himself, enters into humanity, becomes a slave, right? Sets right. aside what he deserves. But then the culmination is pretty incredible. The culmination and what Jesus gets because of what he's done. Look look at this. Verse 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we have this God who's done an amazingly generous, gracious thing for us by becoming human and dying for us and interceding for us. So let's worship him together.